Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Laura about a topic that I've been meaning to cover on the podcast, and it's so relevant and important to each and every one of you that tune in. Um, It's about talking to you about parenting our children with ADHD, but also just children who are near divergent, right? So we are all struggling with trying to find the best way to parent our children. And so I'm so excited to have Dr. Laura here today to really help guide us, you know, in those moments when we're struggling um, and and want to get some advice. So before I get it, we get into all of that, I just want to give you a bit of a, a bit more about Dr. Laura. She is Dr. Laura Froyan is on a mission to help parents reclaim peace, joy, and connection. She helps parents find the root cause of their triggers and heal them once and for all. She does this by guiding parents to tap into their intuition so that they can parent from a place of feeling calm, confident, and aligned. As a mom of two, she understands how important it is to feel respected in your own home. With a doctorate in human development and family studies, specializing in couple and family therapy, Dr. Laura knows how important it is that kids feel respected too. She helps families all over the world reconnect to their purpose, their partners, and themselves so they can show up in their lives and relationships with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Respect is the bridge that leads to a more fulfilling parenting journey. She's here to teach you how. Thank you and welcome. This is just such an amazing bio. And I think everything that I've read resonates with with me so much. And I'm sure with everyone else who's listening. Oh, well, I'm so glad to be here and so happy to get to meet your community. Yeah. Um, so when before starting, I always like to ask everyone how they got into doing the work that they do. So how did you start helping parents? Um, and then, you know, getting your PhD in this area. And so tell us more. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's funny, like lots of people who go into helping professions, when I was a teenager, I found most of my friends were coming to me for for help or guidance or just to listen. Um, and so when I went to college, I was like, well, I'm good at listening, so may as well do that professionally. Um, and I started working with some researchers um, at my university who were looking at how marital conflict influences child development. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the, the field of couple and family therapy. And so a lot of my research while I was a professor focused on parenting and how family dynamics um, can influence children's academic development. Um, But I left academia um, because ultimately I felt really disconnected from the families that I wanted to help. Um, It was taking a long time for the research I was doing to get into the hands of the families that could use it most. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I wanted more balance for my own family too. Uh, So now I get to work with families all over the world uh, and help them figure out how they can uh, meet their goals for their kids and parent in alignment with their 
those goals. Uh, you know, a lot of us were parented in ways that didn't really work for us. Um, and then we go into parenthood and we try to figure out how to parent differently than how we were parented. But there's not a lot of um, good guidance out there. I mean, there's tons, okay, there's tons of good guidance, but it's hard to figure out how do I filter that guidance that's out there um, through my own personal lens of how I view children, how I view my role as their parents and put it into practice in my individual family with a unique, beautiful individuals that I get to the chance to parent and raise you know yeah so that's and what I do and that sounds amazing because it really does sound like your parenting strategy is really embedded in respect but mutually both for parents and for children and so it's not just that the parent comes as like this authoritarian who will lead everything in the home I mean there are times and places for that but like there's mutual respect um for for both children and and parents so how do you see that yeah, yeah. I think I think when we parents view their children as um as part of a team, when we view our family as as a team where we're all kind of doing this job of growing up together because parents do a lot of growing up once I don't know about you, yeah. but when I became oh, yeah. a mom, I had a lot of growing up to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there's this there's this place of coming alongside kids instead of being this all-knowing grown-up who knows everything, understanding that um, our kids actually know themselves best. They're the ones who are in the best position to know what they need. Um, they are just inexperienced and sometimes they need some help and guide and guidance figuring out what they need. And that's what we're here for. And so I I think kids do better when they feel like my mom is on my side or my dad is my biggest, you know, supporter. And when I have a problem, instead of running from them or hiding from them so that I don't get in trouble, I know that I can go to them and they will be right there with me figuring out what this problem is and um, how to solve it together. So that that spirit of teamwork really requires mutual respect. Um, You know, these kids, they come into the world full human beings, alive and alert and ready to connect, ready to learn. And they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And so do we as parents. Um, So I think finding that balance, figuring out how to work together is is where I'm happiest with families. Yeah. And you know what? You you talk about balance and working as a team. And I think that that it isn't, it doesn't sound any more truer than for the families that, that they're tuning in, right? Parents of children who are struggling with, with various um, issues, whether it's ADHD or whether it's autism, or even if it's SPD, you know, these kids are so vulnerable in so many different ways, right? Especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're at home, they're, there's just a lot of confusion initially about not really knowing what's going on with them, right? They, they feel different. Yeah but they can never voice it, they can't put it in words, then they feel within, you know, if if, within their home, if there are other siblings and other, uh, other, um, you know, uh, brothers and sisters around, they just they don't feel like they're the same as those kids, or that they get into more trouble. And then there's just so much going on. And so they're really leaning in on their parents, right, for that guidance, for that support. And so what would be some of the tools you would give to parents in in those situations, because these are parents that are struggling so much, right? It's so hard when your child is, is having multiple tantrums a day, you know, when they are emotionally dysregulated. And sometimes it can trigger a lot of these things within ourselves, right? And so how do you help navigate all of that? How can you help these parents? Yeah, I think the first thing is uh, 
really, really digging into your own mindset and how you're viewing these challenging behaviors that kids have. Um, understanding that these kids are not trying to be bad or wrong. Um, I guarantee if you went to your child and you asked them about the annoying things that they did or the challenging behaviors that they did, if you asked them if they were happy with those things, if they wish that they could do things differently, I guarantee they know, they know that the things that they're doing are not okay or not right, or that not what that's expected of them. Cause some of the things, you know, like stims that lots of kids do, we, we tell them that they're wrong, but they're actually just fine and lovely ways to stimulate their nervous system, you know, like it's, it's and regulate their nervous system, but they know, they know they're different. They know that something's going on and they, if they could do better, they would be. And so um, one of my mentors, Ross Green, um, he wrote the book, The Explosive Child, love his work. Um, But he has this phrase that he says a lot, kids do well when they can, not when they want to. And I think that mindset shift is really important to really take on. If you spend any of your time doing anything, looking through your at your kids through that lens is will be the most profound thing you can do um, because it imbues them with humanity. It validates their experience. Kids with sensory differences or with neurological differences, they experience the world differently. Um, they might seem dramatic or like they're overreacting, um, but they're not. That's their truth. That's their reality. It's their lived experience and it deserves to be validated. And so as soon as we can come around to that idea that when your child puts on their socks and freaks out because they forgot to turn them inside out so the, the, the seam wouldn't touch their feet and has a meltdown, that that's real for them. That's not, they're not being drama queens. That's real. Their body got somehow because of things that are going on in their body, their body got a danger signal that sent them into fight or flight. And that's the real honest to goodness truth, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And so like learning how to, I feel like I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry, but digging under that- yeah. 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 Digging under that behavior and understanding that this is their, this is their real lived experience and it deserves to be validated and not diminished or minimized. Yeah. I think that everyone who's listening in, this is really just kind of getting to the foundation of that relationship that they need to set up. And, and, and I feel like, and you will probably agree with me, it's never too late to start with your children, wherever you are. There's so much guilt among parents right that oh my gosh yes <laughs> but it's never too late right and that's what I'm trying Ever. to like all of these things all of these amazing tools that that you're telling us to you know just understand your child from where they're at and validate their feelings you can start that today absolutely and that can help yeah. them do a lot of the work absolutely and you know what the other thing I want to just be say this um, piece of reassurance to to families. Um, so we've all heard of attachment, you know, how the the bond that is built between um, caregivers and children. Um, and the way that that's built really is through sensitive and responsive attunement. But re- research shows us is that um, the parents who have secure attachment relationships with their kids um, tend to get kind of the sensitive responsive attunement right about 30% of the time. And so that leaves a huge margin for error and, a lo- you know, repair is a beautiful um, opportunity to build resilience and to teach kids that we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all miss cues from each other. And that when that happens, we don't have to freak out or say we've ruined a relationship. We can come back 
we can re- um, acknowledge our, you know, our own uh, mistakes. We can um, take responsibility for our actions and we can repair with them. And so if that's the case, if you're looking back at your interactions and saying, gosh, I've called you a drama queen or I've called you over dramatic about things, um, you can go to them and say that, just vulnerably say, I did not realize how real this was for you. When I, you know, when I've kind of been hard on you for not being able to clean your room, I didn't, I didn't realize that there's a lot of steps in cleaning your room that are really hard to break down. And I do those things automatically because I'm a grown up and I've learned how to do it my whole life. And I, I forgot what it's like to be a kid. And I'm really sorry. And I'm really grateful that you're reminding me that we need to slow down and break things down. And how can I help you? It's, it does a lot to go to a kid and admit that you're wrong. They don't hear that from grownups very often. Um, it can really help a lot. Yeah, no, I'm literally getting goosebumps listening to that. Cause I mean, even, even as adults, imagine if we're spoken to like that, how much validation and how much repair we can have within our, our relationships. So for a child to hear that, and especially a child who's struggling so much, right? It's opening up those doors where they can realize that, okay, I can go back to mom or I can go back to dad and talk about, you know, some of the things that I'm going through, right? It's those moments of repair that your child yeah. can open up and say, hey, you know what? You're right. I'm finding it really hard. I'm finding all of these steps overwhelming. It you know, I, I get confused and I want to cry and I want to scream or, you know, I want to do things. It helps open up that opportunity to have that that dialogue that a lot of these kids, they kind of shut down, right? Because a yeah. one, maybe they might not have the vocabulary to explain their feelings, but also because of the experience that they have within certain situations, whether it's at home or, or at school, it shuts them down. Of course it does, because they feel shamed. Whether you've been shaming or not, you know, I mean, the most conscious, aware and respectful parent cannot prevent their child from feeling shame. Um, Even if you're doing nothing to actively shame them. Shame is an experience that human have. It's a actually quite adaptive emotion that is there to keep us connected to each other um, and keep us moving within kind of culturally defined social norms. The problem is, is that it shuts down our learning centers when we experience it. It puts us in, it's a panicking, panic-inducing emotion for lots of us, um, especially for kids. And they know, they know that their friends don't forget their homework or that they're, you know, that they are, they they, they know, they just know, they, they do, they know. And whether you're doing anything to shame them or not, oftentimes these kids are experiencing shame. And so if you are starting to kind of do that repair and starting to try to proactively solve problems with them, there will be a time period where it will be hard, where they will shut down and they'll say, I don't know, or I'm just a bad kid, or I'm just not smart, or I'm just lazy, because they've already internalized things that maybe they never heard from you. And that it kills you to think that they're thinking that way about themselves. But they've heard it other places. They've heard yeah. it in books or from teachers, you know. Yeah. And and oftentimes kids are just left to their own devices to make sense of why they are the way they are, you yeah. know, and so it takes time to build back trust. Um, if you've done anything punitive with your kids, which believe me, I understand because sometimes you just need to get things done. Um, it will take more time to build back that trust too, to reassure them, hey, look, buddy, 
no one's in trouble here. I know in the past when you haven't cleaned your room, I've taken away your screen time. We're not doing that anymore. And you can trust me on that, but I understand it might take some time for you to trust me um, on that. When you're ready to talk about getting your room clean, I'm going to help you make up a plan that works for you and for me and no more taking things away. You know, like that, that they need, they will need time and they will need some experiences with that and they will need to test it and push it too um, in order to really be able to trust that it's different, that it's changing. Yeah. And I like that you said push it because my, I was just, when I was listening to you talk, I was just thinking about that parent whose child is hyperactive and will just not dial down and is just going to be all over the place. I mean, even that, like even there, you just said it will not dial down. Yeah. It's not a will, it's a can't, can't no. right? And so yeah. that, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's so in, deeply ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's so ingrained. Yeah. And, and so even just like being really careful with your own language in your own head is so important. I, yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted no, you, I but love it was that just such a perfect example. <laughs> no, but I think it's great though, right? Because that's what we as parents need to learn. And, you know, someone even like me who works with these families every single day, we tend to overlook these little things um, that... I feel like when these children are listening in, they're more, they're listening in a lot more deeper for these small words, right? The can mm-hmm. and the will, right? Yeah. But so what I was trying to get at was when with these children, how are those parents, right? These children are, their their bodies are just at that stage where they're hyperactive. And so the parents are not able to kind of get to them to get to have those conversations, right? They're not able to bring them down to um, a level to have that conversation. And so what would you say for those parents? Well, I think it's really important that um, we practice acceptance of our kids and kind of what is. And when we, and we just have to know that when they're in that state, their, their brain is unavailable for that type of of logical, well-reasoned conversation. So if we think about the kind of the levels of the brain, you know, we have our fight or flight system that's in our more primal brain, we have the emotional brain, and then we have the executive brain. And kids with ADHD and other neuro differences have some executive dysfunction. That's part of it. Um, But problem solving happens in the executive brain. And so if they, that part of the brain is dysregulated and unavailable, it's hopeless to think about trying to solve a problem then. That's not the right time. What that kid needs is some co-regulation. They need, we. I mean, so part of the, your job when you're seeing a kid in that state and they're wild like that, you know, you it's your job to figure out what are the things that upregulate and downregulate them? What are the things that help them get back into their body, get back into the room? What are the things that help them expend the energy so that they can be fully present and start building a a sensory diet and activity diet for them, building your home around those needs. The the truth is, is that this world was not made for for neurodivergent people. It just wasn't. Um, But your home, your house and your lifestyle doesn't have to be that way. Your home can be an inclusive, vibrant, um, encouraging and accepting place uh, for your child to be the the fullest expression of themselves. Um, So that might mean, you know, sometimes when I'm doing problem solving with families, um, the child is bouncing on a trampoline the entire time and, or like hanging upside down from the back of a couch. or pretending to be a dragon and communicating in blinks and licks, you know, like that, that's, those are all things that have happened to me while I'm working with families on problem solving. And it's can be really hard for the parents because that 
I, there's their child is in front of a professional in front of a doctor, you know, and they want their kid to just sit calmly and write notes like other kids. And, and for me, I don't care. That kid can do whatever they need to do to be able to focus um, on the conversation. Or we just do a little bit of the conversation. We, you know, we break our sessions up into 15 minute sessions and that's it. So we get, you know, maybe a little bit of it done. And then we take a break and we come back the next week and we do it a little bit and we're bouncing the whole time or we're in a sensory swing the whole time. It's okay with me. Like those are fine, fine with me. And um, I think parents should should really get work around like being creative with how this problem solving happens, either just taking a break when their kid, they, their child is clearly not available um, or doing the things that they know their helps their kid be available. I think that was great because I just want to take that forward because I think that a lot of parents can get um, input from their own kids and how to help them problem solve right 100 the, the child They're will the tell you know. exactly. they tell you they tell you with their behavior or with their language you know like i mean i had one kid who wanted who felt felt so much shame about um, her behavior that she could not engage in problem solving and so we play, did all of our problem solving in imaginary games where we were friends and she was giving me advice about my daughter, who was her, you know, where we we would have a pretend coffee date with each other. Yeah. So we, I mean, like, and that's what she said she needed. That's what she needed. I mean, they they will tell you. Yeah. It, and we just don't ask kids enough. Yeah. Kids are brilliant. They know themselves. You know, so if you have a problem you want to solve with your kid, hey, buddy, I want to talk about homework. Where would you like to do that? And they say they want to do it down in the basement where the sensory swing is. Like, listen to them. Go. Or they say they want to do it on a walk or while you're driving in the car. Do those things, you know, drive to Starbucks, get them a chocolate milk and have yeah. the conversation. You know, like it's it's OK to really listen to them and be yeah. really creative about it. And you know your kid too. They, you know, parents know their kids. They know the things, you know. And if you don't, that's a really good time to practice observation. I think observation is one of the most critical parenting skills that just never, I mean, hardly ever gets taught. But just sitting back and watching your kid, taking a week before you try to solve any problems with a notebook and just spending 15 minutes a day just watching them very closely. Like you're a social scientist yeah. observing, what are they doing when they're, they get upset and I don't intervene. What happens? You know, what, where do they go to? What do they gravitate towards? Just really getting to know them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that really helps because it's helping you connect with your child on a very different level because you're first accepting them for how they yeah. are. And, and I think that it's very important also for a lot of people that, that they're tuning in and, and listening in, they come here for a lot of like functional medicine advice of like what to do with their child. Like what are the five things that must do? What are the supplements for the diet? But this is this other aspect where we really need to kind of dial in our parenting and, and connection with our child, because this is what's going to feed their confidence, their, um, their self-love, their, their place in the world. Right. So all of these things mm -hmm. contribute such a huge part to reducing that stress because Absolutely. when that stress level is high we can give them all the supplements we can we can address a lot of these underlying root causes but that nervous system is still in fight and flight all the time right yeah. and so how can we bring that down right and so by addressing a lot of these things where 
we're looking at that stress of that child, of that household, of the parent, because they're feeding yeah. off of their parents' energy as well. Absolutely, 100%. And I think the other piece of it too is, is that the the things that many of these kids are struggling with, the skills that they're lacking that they need in order to be successful and meet the expectations that they're struggling with meeting right yeah. now, those skills are built in relationships. Those are skills that are built by partnering with a more developed nervous system, a more developed brain and working together. So if you think about solving a problem and how, um, you know, if the problem is cleaning your room, the ability to break down a problem, like cleaning your room into, you know, the necessary steps and put them into an order that makes sense and all of those things. That's something that lots of kids with ADHD really struggle with. But in the process of solving that problem with your parent, what do you have to do? You have to break it down into steps. You have to take a look at what's hard about each step and really get really granular. And in doing so, you're teaching your child's brain how to do that. And they can learn that and then apply it to other things. You know, so the kids that I I get to the chance to work with often go on to be the people on the playground that the other kids come to to help them solve their problems because they've learned how to break a problem down into its part. They've learned how to take someone else's perspective and think about how what they're doing is impacting others. Um, and that that's a cognitive skill. That's not yeah. something that like they're just doing, you know, they don't think about because they're selfish. It's a it's a literal cognitive developmental skill that can be practiced and supported. Yeah. And you and know that what happens I'm, in relationships. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because that's exactly one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk to you about was a lot of these children, when they're in their school setting, or even if they're at home, they struggle with really getting the cues of, of somebody else's behavior, right? Or mm -hmm. really um, making those connections. Um, and and you and, and I hear it time and time again from parents saying, you know, my kid is really struggling in school because of their friendships, that they're not mm -hmm. understood correctly. And it's really like this this piece that I, I want us to maybe talk a little bit about that, that you said, helping them problem solve that aspect. How do they yeah. do that? How do parents help them? How do the children do that? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny that I think a lot of skills like emotion regulation skills and social skills are, we're, we're social learning animals. We learn through modeling and we learn through experience. And um, I think it's, I think that there's great books out there for kids to teach social skills. There's great, you know, great programs out there that, you know, do like social stories and practice those types of things. Um, but one of the best ways I think to practice that sort of thing is in real life, in the moment with you. And so if you are setting boundaries or if you are clearly communicating your personal space um, at home and practicing that and helping them read your body language, I think that that's one of the strongest things you can do. So if they are, you know, some, you know, some kids kind of have no sense of personal space, right? Yeah. So they get kind of in your face, being able to say, whoa, look at my body language. Did you see how I moved back? My neck was, my body, my head was trying to get a little space 
space. That's a clue that you're in my space. Can you back up? Here's my bubble. You know, being able to set those those boundaries and and do it in a loving way too. You know, doing it in a in a like playful way. There are times where you can you you know there are games you can play that are relationship building that are fun and connecting, but also help them with that kind of that start and stop. Um, kind of thing that is hard for kids. So practicing that stuff at home, you know, thinking about like, okay, so if my child, this is fine for me, but if my child was interacting like this with a peer, would it be okay for them? And can they stop um, doing this if they need to out in the world? And if, if we're not confident in that, then even though it's fine for you, you might need to set that boundary sometimes at home so that they can have a chance to experience the boundary and practice with the self-regulation it takes to to stop and, yeah. um, you know, control that impulse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know no, I saying? totally get that because it can be hard sometimes, especially when they're in a class setting and they, they're doing it out of connection because that's what yeah. their mind might be telling them that that's how to create connection but it might be getting into another child's space and the other child might not be feeling very comfortable so it's allowing them to understand that situation and how to handle it because um so there's this great book that I was reading with my son last week and the main character is this neurodivergent child it's called boy called bat um and the and this boy bat is he's he's you know he's explaining to us his situation about the world how he's experiencing it and so that exactly thing that thing happened about personal space in that book when he was trying to talk about that and you know it's 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 getting a perspective from the other side but you see where it takes them a lot longer to self-regulate because that shock and that cringe initially, right? When somebody's saying, oh, back off or, you know, back away and they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So they don't perceive it that way and they don't, it's no, easier to process, yeah. you know? And I mean, I think the other thing that's important to understand too is that perspective taking as a cognitive and developmental skill really comes online between six and eight and sometimes later, you yeah. know, for kids um, because we're all on a bell curve when it comes to development and certain skills come online sooner, you know, sooner and some come online later. And yeah. so that perspective taking is being able to put yourself into someone else's shoes is a like legitimate cognitive development skill. And yeah. so that, I mean, and that's that, and that can be delayed, you know, just like reading exactly. can be delayed, you know, and other things can be yeah. delayed. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly and so, what we sometimes see with, with teens who have ADHD, they're going into those classes and they're struggling more because that whole aspect is slightly delayed. They're still yeah. not receiving the way that they need to. But since they have come to these higher, more advanced classes, the other kids have a very different take on it. So it's very yeah. isolating for them. Yeah. I mean, and I think that there's, I think that there's room for, you know, com- teaching, uh, especially an older child, how to communicate their needs and their differences too. I think that there's room for practicing that while you're young and being able to, you know, model that. So if you've got young kids and you're going to a play date, you know, when you get there, you know, give them the reminders about personal space and then like be just being open and saying, we're, you know, we are learning about personal space and boundaries. So if he gets too close to you, um, he doesn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, just give him this hand signal that we're working on, you know, and teach them the hand signal. And I mean, those are things that we can, that people can do, you know, that 
you know, so yeah. I have times where, you know, I, I'm in the process of getting um, my ADHD diagnosis. And there are times where I need to communicate some of my own limitations to my, you know, to people I'm with. So like, I'm, I have some fidgets that I use. And sometimes I need to just say like, you know, just so you know, if I'm doodling on my paper, it's not because I'm not listening, it's actually helping me focus. Um, yeah. And I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful. You know, it's okay yeah. to say those things. Yeah. I'm in modeling that for our kids and teaching them how to communicate their needs um, and communicate about their, their neurodiversity, about their unique and individual kind of beauty it is important too, especially when the social norms, the cultural and social norms that are out there in the world aren't affirming for, for all of us. You know, they aren't the reality for a, a lot of us and they make us feel othered um, and yeah. make us feel like we're being disrespectful when we're really not, we're just trying to be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's also stemming from just not really understanding correctly how to respond to various situations because yeah. the way that you're taking those cues are being perceived again, that idea of perception yeah. So differently in the mind and especially when we're looking at you know this age range of children that starts from three maybe to 18 right we're talking about teens it varies but it yeah. also can be delayed at sometimes or it can just be something that hasn't been worked on so much or has been um or has been kind of looked over for some periods mm -hmm. of time like I have I've had a lot of kids who are coming to me a little bit older it's because now they're trying to struggle with schoolwork and that's where the parents are picking them up because before that they just thought that it was okay or that it was like a discipline thing right um yeah and and so now it's like they're starting to put all these pieces together and say hey maybe there was all of these cues that we missed along the way that are now not, now we can connect those dots and it's never too late for that then no, not, I mean, like I said, I'm going through the process right now because yeah. my whole life I've been able to manage it. I mean, but it's been incredibly stressful, you know, like procrastination and the perfectionism and all of those things. And now I'm at a place in my life where I have some other exterior stress happening and it's not manageable anymore yeah. and I need support and it's okay to, yeah. to do that and figure that out. Even at, you know, I'm almost 40. It's good. It's good to be open to growth and development. And that development is a lifelong process. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the fact to teach your children that, that it's okay when you feel stressed to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help and to help them problem solve to yeah. find ways to ask for help, right? You can Absolutely. ask help from your parent, from your sibling, from your teacher, from your friend, right? Various relationships around you where you feel comfortable to yeah. ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and that's, that's what we're here for. We're supposed to be doing this all together. We're supposed to be a community of, of humans caring for each other. That's what I want for my kids. I want them to feel like they're in community with each other. Yeah. Um, I want them to be good community members. And I want, you know, there to be kind of the responsibility um, for caring for each other. I think that's a good thing to support. Yeah, well, the, yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I feel like there's just so many tools for us parents to learn. For me, I feel like just listening to you, there's so much perspective um, on on parenting our kids with respect, whether they're neurodiverse or not, but also for children with particularly with with neurodiversity, 
there's so many tools that that you've shared with us today that if we just really sit down and put some thought and some structure to that and then really start finding a way to implement that, right? Instead of just always running after uh, if I can give a pill and it can be fine, if I can give a supplement and it'll be fine, if I just get them off that, you know, less sugar or, or gluten and dairy, yes, there's a place for all of those things. But like I had said earlier, like we just want all these pieces to fit in and there is such a huge role of, of how we parent because basically we're allowing these children to grow up to be individuals that are secure within themselves because there's already so much you know lack of self-confidence so many um so many doubts and questions in their mind all the time so it's really plugging in a lot of those stressors and allowing them to flourish as as people as they grow up absolutely and the the work that you're your um, listeners are doing by, you know, tweaking diet and thinking about supplements and those things can help give a child access to the ability to engage in some of these other um, kind of higher order executive functioning requiring things, you know, like problem solving. And so it's, they all work together beautifully. And, you know, we can, when things are not working well, we go on this downward spiral, but we can spiral up too, right? So they all are building on each other and it all goes hand in hand and supporting the whole child is really important. And for children, but humans in general, but children, especially connections and relationships are a big part of signaling safety to a nervous system that maybe um, feels unsafe some of the time or a lot of the time. Oh yeah, for sure. Where can parents find you? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah. Um, well, so I have a podcast called The Balanced Parent, which you yeah. are a guest on. Um, mm-hmm. It was a great conversation. Um, and so I have that um, the podcast Balance Parent, you can get it anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, and I have a membership uh, community where if you are needing support on things like problem solving, you can come join a community of parents. Most of us have at least one kid who is yeah. walking through this world a little differently. Um, and we get a lot of support from each other. Yeah. And I'm going to drop the link um, for your website in the show notes so then they can access the community yeah, everything's there. there yeah Sounds great. Good. <laughs> thank you so much this has been yeah. such a great conversation I feel like we could just keep going on and on there's so many layers to unpack but um thank you so much for getting us started just giving us a framework to guide us on and just kind of get started and hopefully not feel overwhelmed in the process um just taking it one step at a time and just working our way through that yes and and there's time there's so much time and there's enough compassion and grace to go around so that you can have some too. It's really important. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, 
make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.